when Justice, our son, who's now 12, when he was probably 18 months old, two years old, we used to watch him at night on the baby monitor. Now, I know some of you had the baby monitors that were just audio. And if you didn't have a kid in the age of video baby monitors, you should really think about having another one because this is fun. <laughs> it's like pure entertainment. It's better than anything on TV, watching these little guys at night. And we were away with him. This is before we had our daughter, Jessie. We were away with him on a trip and we had set up a, this little video baby monitor in his room. And Sarah and I were in our room and we're just watching him. And Justice, for a while there, he would get out of bed, get out of bed, pop up. You'd lay him down, he'd pop up. You'd lay him down, he'd pop right back up. But this night he got out of bed, but we were trying to figure out what is he doing? What are you doing in there, buddy? He was in the bed, out of the bed. We could see barely like playing around on the floor. And so I went into his room and it's pitch black in there. I'm kind of getting down low and feeling around for him. I find him at the foot of the bed and he, I said, Justice, what are you doing, buddy? And he reaches out, he puts his hands on my cheek and he says, saw hands, daddy, saw hands, saw hands, daddy, saw hands. What are you saying? But I realized when he touched my cheek, he had taken his socks off and put socks on his hands <laughs> and said, sock hands, daddy, sock hands. Now, Sarah had read a book to him. One of his favorite books at the time was a book called If You Give a Moose a Muffin. It's Pulitzer Prize winning stuff here. But somewhere in the course of this book, this moose gets socks and puts them on his hands and makes sock puppets out of his hands. This is what Justice is doing. He's playing sock hands at night. Why am I telling you this? Because that is a much more productive use of your time than to lay there and worry. It's vain to sit up late and worry. I'm telling you the truth. The Lord helped me with that. He said, next time you're tempted to lay there and worry about the family, worry about your finances, worry about the ministry, here's what you do. You get some socks, you put them on your hands, turn over to Sarah and say, sock hands, baby, sock hands. Now, what you do from there is your business. I'm not trying to get into any of that. I'm just telling you that playing sock hands free from worry is a much better use of your time. Amen. He has made provision for your sleep. So that's the, that's the rest that we need. And we need that every single day. Don't kid yourself thinking you can go without it. You need that. And he's made provision for it. You also need a rest weekly. There is rest that we get daily, but there's also rest that this machine was built to require on a weekly basis. And you look at it through the scriptures and it's called the Sabbath. So we've got daily rest that comes in sleep. You've got weekly rest that comes in a Sabbath. Now, if you don't think this is a big deal to God, you're not reading your Bible. The Sabbath showed up at the end of week one, creation. We talked about this, where God rested on that seventh day. And days one through six, he called good. He saw what he had made and said it was good. But day seven, he didn't call good. He called holy. And this was such a big deal to God that when it came time to give the Ten Commandments, you've heard of those, I think. 
And you remember some of them, right? Uh, no other gods before you, no graven images. Thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill. I mean, there's some heavy stuff in these commandments. You, know, you want to know what's right in the middle of them? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. This is a big deal to God. This rest. Why would this be such a big deal to him? Well, he built this thing. He knows what it needs. But besides all that, when you rest, you are actually saying, you're God and I'm not. You are God, I'm not. And the reason I say that is because he commanded his people to rest. And when he said rest, he said, I don't want you out collecting food. I don't want you out doing work. I want you resting. You want to know why many, many, many people refuse to rest even one day a week? They fear that if I'm not out there working, I'm not going to have enough. If I'm not out there working, if I'm not out there collecting, I can't provide. That means you think to some degree you are your own God, that you are your own source. But resting, even just one day a week, says, Lord, you're my source. And the miracles he did for them, he would rain manna out of the sky in the wilderness. But he said, listen to me, on that sixth day, get enough for two days because you ain't going out there on the seventh day. And you know what they did? They went out on the seventh day. He said, I told you not to do that. Why would somebody go out on the seventh day? Well, I'd love to rest, but I just don't know if we're going to have enough. I just don't know if I'm going to have enough to feed my family. And God said, no, if you rest, I'll guarantee you have enough. This was a big deal to him. He gave them this command, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. But... Man did what man does, got a hold of this law. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. And they put so many laws around this law that it actually became more work. It became more work just to keep the Sabbath. Totally lost the spirit of it. Totally lost what God wanted to do in it. Until Jesus comes along and he's preaching on the Sabbath day and he starts healing Oh, this made some people mad. He tells a guy who had been lame for many, 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 many years. He said, take up your bed and walk. Now, any other day of the week, that would have been fine. We're good with miracles on Mondays through Fridays. But because he said it on the Sabbath, the religious people, what, did they celebrate the miracle? Did they praise God that a man who couldn't walk now can't? No. They got all hacked off because Jesus did it on the wrong day, or so they thought it was the wrong day. They're mad at him. I mean, thoughts of crucifixion started like that because of what he did on the Sabbath. And it wasn't just one miracle. It wasn't just two. You go and read the scriptures. We have seven recorded miracles. These are just the ones that are written down of healings that took place on the Sabbath day. There was one day... Jesus and his disciples were walking. It was a Sabbath day. And they were walking through a field and there was heads of grain in the field. And, and Jesus and his disciples began to pluck the grains of, head, uh, grains of wheat. And these religious people got so fired up, angry, mad over this. You're picking wheat on the Sabbath day. And Jesus said, have you not read where David himself, when he was hungry, went into the Holy of Holies to get the bread? And Jesus, he 
how do you say this? To me, this is the big statement in all of Scripture about the Sabbath day that will change the way you think about it. Jesus said this, that Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Man, that's revelation if you will think about it. They had so gotten crossed up in their thinking that they were trying to serve the day, not realizing God gave the day to serve them. God gave this day as a gift to you. I mentioned my grandfather to you earlier. He was preaching one time. I heard him say this. He had injured his back so severely. I think one time in his entire 50 plus years of ministry, he's ever canceled a service or canceled a trip. He was supposed to go to Australia, but he had blown out a disc in his back and he was laid up. He said he had heating pads because of the pain that was radiating down his leg. He had heating pads strapped all the way down his leg on his back. And he was sitting out on his porch and he had his Bible. And the Lord said to him, what are you doing? He was getting all excited about what he was reading. The Lord said, what are you doing? He's like, I'm reading the word. Yeah, but what are you going to do with that? And he goes, I'm going to preach it. He was trying to prepare, trying to get something together to preach. And the Lord spoke to him and said, I made you to rest 52 days a year. You haven't rested 52 days in five years. And he realized what he was doing. He's not enjoying the presence of the Lord. He's not fellowshipping with him. He's getting ready to preach. Nothing wrong with that. I love it too. But what the Lord has dealt with me, he said, Jeremy, ministry is a bad substitute for intimacy. And I've fallen into it. I know many, many, many ministers have. Thinking I'm good with God because I'm a preacher. But there's something that I need from Him that only comes when I'm at rest. Not getting ready to preach at rest in His presence. He built you to rest this body 52 days a year. And those days do not include... Are you listening? Housework. They don't include answering emails. Well, I'm, from, I'm at home, so it's fine. That's not resting. I don't even know that we really know what resting is. Shutting everything down, everything off, and being quiet. I'm good at that for like eight minutes. <laughs> and then I'm like you. Like, all right, now what? what? What's going on? Where should we be? What should we be doing? Rest. You were built. This machine, this, this amazing creation that God has knit together. He built it. He designed it with the limitation. Because there are things that happen in times of rest. The machine recuperates. The, the machine re-energizes and it gets back strength that has been putting out, putting out, putting out, putting out. You need a Sabbath. And yes, I know Jesus has fulfilled the law. I understand that. I understand we're living in a new dispensation and it's the time of grace. Yes, I get it. I know that. But what, tell me, what happened that made God change his mind about rest? 
what, what happened that made him stop taking something so seriously? I think the good news is if you don't get the day of rest, you don't have the condemnation of death hanging over your head. That's good news. That's great news. But it doesn't change the fact that you're built with the same limitation that they had New Testament and Old. And that you require the same rest, the daily rest, the weekly rest that mankind has needed from day one. You need this rest. But here's one I want to just take a couple of minutes with, a couple of more. We've dealt with this daily rest that he's made provision for. Weekly rest, he's made provision for that. But where does that leave us? What's the next natural step, the progression? If you go from the day to the week, maybe the year? Now, I'm not trying to make laws out of this, but just hear my heart in it. Go to the book of Mark, chapter 6. Thank you, Lord. If your daily rest is called sleep and your weekly rest is called Sabbath, what would an, exterior, an extended period of time be, like maybe once a year or so? That's called vacation. And if you ask people in other places around the world, um, many people don't call it vacation. You know what they call it? Holiday. And we talked about this some weeks ago. Where do you get the word holiday? Holy day. God said that the seventh day, the day of rest, was a holy day. That's where we get that. In Mark chapter 6, I want you to look at verse 7. The Bible says that Jesus called the twelve, talking about his disciples, called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two, check this out, and gave them power over unclean spirits. Anybody else wonder what that looked like? Hey guys, come here, come here, all of you, come on, all twelve right now, I need to talk to you, come here. The Bible says he gave them power over unclean spirits. Here's a little bit for you. Here's some power for you. You're going to need some power. What's that look like? What does the giving out, the providing of the power look like? How did that come? How did he give it? How did they take it? Well, the answer is here in the scriptures. Number one, he called them to himself. You're not getting this power anywhere else. Number two, he sent them out. When he sent them, and they went, that's when the power came. The power came with him sending them, commissioning them, assigning them to go out. He sent them out two by two, gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them, check this out, to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belt, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. That's interesting in instruction, isn't it? He's sending them out and they're loading up. They've got their, their money belt. They've got their man purse. They've got their, their clothes <laughs> packed, you know, change of sandals if they need it. They're walking out with their bags. And Jesus says, what are you doing with all that stuff? Well, you, you're sending us out, right? We're going to be gone for days, weeks. How long? He said, don't take anything. Don't take money. Don't take money. Don't take don't take that bag. Don't take that sack. Don't take that money. Don't take two pairs of sandals. Just take a staff and go. This is interesting. Why would he say this? Well, if you're not careful, people try to make doctrines out of this. See there, preacher? You ain't supposed to have nothing. 
put scriptures together, connect some dots. In the book of Luke, Jesus said to them after they had come home, he said, when I sent you out without money, without bags, without tunics, when I sent you out without food, he said, did you lack anything? You know what they said? Nothing. Nothing. How's that possible? He sent them without it, but they didn't lack it. It's possible like this. The same grace and the same calling that he's sending you out in is the same grace and calling that will equip you with everything you need to do everything he's called you to do. He's saying the same power I'm giving you, the same grace I'm giving you, trust it to put food on the table. Trust it to put clothes on your back. Trust it to provide for you all along the way. And he proved it to them because they came back and he said, you lack anything? And they said, nothing. The same grace that you called us with and sent us out with provided for us all along the way. Isn't that awesome? Now it says here, it goes on. Jesus kind of tells them what they can begin to expect. He said in verse 10, whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. So good instruction, stay till you leave. Verse 11, whoever will not receive you or hear you when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So he's saying there are people that will hear you, they'll receive you, there are others that won't. So they went out, verse 12, and they preached that people should repent. Verse 13, they cast out many demons, anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Evidently, it worked. That power that he sent them out with, it worked. It provided healing. It provided deliverance. It provided the anointing to stand and preach to people and for people to go, yes, I believe that and receive that and repent of their sin. It worked. Somebody say, it worked. It worked. Now you fast forward to verse 30. It says, then the apostles gathered to Jesus. Don't you like that? He called them as disciples. They came back as apostles. What does apostle mean? Sent one. What, where was the change? They got sent. The, the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Man, can you imagine this? I can imagine it. I can imagine it because I've been there. Being young in ministry and growing up in a ministry house and seeing mom and dad preach, watching Papa and Mimi travel all over the world and and go into places where it's dark and shine a light, bless God, and preach and see hundreds of people, if not thousands, receive the word and and believe it and, and, and make Jesus the Lord of their lives and see miracles and healings and deliverances. And you grow up in that and you watch it, never doing it yourself until the time comes and the Lord sends you out. And I've been there, man. I've been there when, when you stand on, stand on a platform and, and you preach for yourself the first time and oh my God, it worked. <laughs> it worked. It did the same thing when I preached it that Papa pre- when, when Papa preached it. It works. It's the same anointing. It's the same grace. It's the same power. And I know what this is like because I've come home and I've picked up the phone. He said, Mom and Dad and Papa, maybe you got to hear. We want to tell you everything the Lord did. Right after Sarah and I were married, a month later after our wedding, we were in Africa together. Spent two weeks preaching all over South Africa. Preached in churches, preached in townships, preached in a barn. And people got saved and healed and it was awesome. And I remember standing in Papa's living room right about Thanksgiving time. So just a few weeks later, 
and telling him like a giddy little kid everything that happened. I've been where these guys are, excited about the calling and excited to see God do the work. It wasn't me working, it was God. It was the anointing, it was the grace. Thank you, Lord. And these guys are all fired up about it. But you know, most, many, I should say, religious-minded people would hear even a good report like that and say, well, that's fine and now that's good, but how many are still out there dying and going to hell? Oh, you, you're glad if you got saved? Well, fine, but how about the millions that died today? How about the millions that are going to hell tomorrow? What's that do to you? Where's your excitement go after that? Well, I didn't really think of that. The implication is always this. The, this. This is always what's worked behind at work behind a religious spirit. It's never enough. Never enough. You ever heard this statement before? Well, you could never pray enough. Could you ever really read your Bible enough? And you hear that. What does that do to you? Does that encourage you? No. You spend an hour, two, eight hours, whatever, reading the Word. And the first thought comes in your mind, well, you know, you could re really never read enough. That's not true. That's not true. If that were true, then there's no difference between God and some hard-hearted religious Pharisee. That tells me you can. You can read exactly what He wants you to see. And it might be a verse. It might be one verse. Oh, you can never really pray enough. Yeah, you can. You can spend some time in prayer today, spend an hour with your face laid out on the floor, or spend five minutes praising the Lord as you're walking out the door. What's he telling you to do? Because to put yourself under this burden of it's never enough, that's not him. And I can prove that to you. Because when these guys came home, all fired up about what had happened, did Jesus say, well, what about the rest? What about everybody else who's dying? No. What did he say? How did he respond to this? Verse 31. He said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. In other words, that's good. You did it. That's enough. For right now, that's enough. Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and do what? Rest. Now the same one that called them and sent them is now calling them to rest. Now I know I've done this wrong and I know other ministers who've done the same thing. You think this second instruction from him is optional. Oh, the first one, you know, this is our calling. We're preachers. This is this high calling we have to preach and teach and pastor this church. But yet when the same one who called you and anointed you and graced you in that place calls you to rest, for some reason we see that one is optional. And the same thing applies to anybody in or out of the ministry. You think that him calling you away to rest is optional, and it's not it's as weighty of a calling as go and preach. If it's coming out of his mouth, who are we 
to say, I'll do this one, but not that one. The same one that called them to go and preach is the one that called them to come away and rest. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. You can also visit PearsonsMinistries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith. 